As we begin um, this portion of the service, I would remind you that uh, there are a couple of handouts that are in the lobby today. One is the small group questions or sermon questions for today's presentation. The second is a small booklet called Praying with the Saints to Pentecost. And this has excerpts of prayers in it that you might use daily between now uh, and Pentecost. Graduates of the School of Prayer, as you are, you've been increasing your prayer life in recent days, and I'm hoping that you'll continue to meet in prayer with those that you've begun praying with all the way through to Pentecost. But these are just prayers that might stretch your thinking, and they're prayers that come from the saints, and I'd encourage your participation in this as you're comfortable with it. Over the last uh, several weeks, we've been talking about service. And initially, the first presentation dealt with the fact that Jesus, by his very life, gave us an example of service. We're told in scripture that even the Son of God didn't come to be served, but to serve. And in the second presentation, we talked about more than just his example. We talked about the, the basin and the towel event where Jesus not only demonstrated service, but then added to his example the command to us to do what he was doing, to actually do the service. So we have the example of Jesus. We have the command of Jesus. And I'm thinking that for most of us, that should be enough to get serving. That's probably all we need, the example of Jesus and the command. Uh, but it never hurts to understand why commands have been given and to understand how compliance with those commands is beneficial. It makes our obedience all the more pleasant when we understand why we are being told to do the things we're being told to do. And so this morning, I would like to introduce the topic of the why of service. What do we expect service to accomplish? And I would invite your attention to Ephesians 4, beginning in the first verse. I'm not going to read every piece of this chapter, but uh, much of the verses between verse 1 and verse 16. So this is Ephesians 4. I therefore, the prisoner in the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of the calling that you have received with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, making every effort to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in all. But each of us was given grace according to the measure of Christ's gifts. This is verse 11. The gifts he gave were that some would be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until all come to the unity of the faith, and of the knowledge of the Son of God to maturity, to the measure of the full stature of Christ. 
we must no longer be children tossed to and fro and blown about by every wind of doctrine, by people's trickery, by their craftiness in deceitful scheming. But speaking the truth in love, we must grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and knit together by every ligament with which it is equipped, joined and knit together by every ligament with which it is equipped, as each part is working properly, promotes the body's growth in building itself up in love. This is an, an unfamiliar passage to us. Uh, we've, we've heard this passage many times. Uh, we pastors and leaders in the church we read this and we understand that it is our job to prepare the people of God for the work of God's kingdom. There's a job description for pastors laid out right in here. But there's a whole bunch more than just job description for pastors in this particular chapter. It says to us that Jesus has given gifts to us. And some of those ligaments that hold the body together, some of those are the gifts that Jesus gives to us. It's true that some have vocational callings. There's prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers, uh, folks who have a lifelong calling to be leaders and trainers in the church. But there are others who have been given gifts to serve the body and to serve the kingdom in ways that are not full-time. Let me be clear, the work that we do to feed our families is always sacred work. Work is a wonderful blessing for us. But there is service beyond the regular work that we do that is gifted by Christ with specific objectives for the body of Christ. The vocational gifts, the, the full-time gifts, are given to equip the people of God for the work of God. And the work of God articulated in this particular passage is building up the body of Christ and contributing to the unity of the faith and increasing knowledge of Jesus Christ and leading the saints to maturity and bringing all the saints to the full measure of Christ-likeness. And that means grounding. It means learning to speak truthfully. It means everyone working together properly and everyone engaging in loving communication and relationships so we can grow up to fullness of love. That's what this passage says. That's the brief outline of exactly this section of the letter. And all of this is said as prelude to the instructions that are going to come in verse 22 and following. In verse 22, we're told to, to put away our old self-centered way of life and to be renewed in the spirit of our minds and clothe ourselves with our new selves created according to the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. So all of this service... All of the activity of the body of Christ serves to enable us to put off the old and take on the new. Now, it's clear then, to embrace the new life we have in Christ, you have to walk in new ways. 
But it's really important not to get the cart before the horse. That always ends badly. We can't afford to allow ourselves to think that by serving others, we somehow earn our salvation or our standing in Christ. That's not a thing that can be earned. We don't serve in order to make God think well of us. We don't serve in order to attain status before God. We don't serve in order for God to save us. God does all those things first on the front end. When we come to him in confession, he embraces us as his children. He gives us new life. He sets us on a new path. And in gratitude for what God has done, and in cooperation with the grace that we have received from God, then we serve. And then serve has its own agenda. Service has its own agenda for us after we have received the gracious gift of Jesus Christ. I really think that serving is one of the primary methods that God uses to accomplish his goals for us. We serve, and in serving, he transforms us. I think this is true. Service is the training camp for righteousness and holiness. If you seek to please God, you listen for his instruction, and then you pursue his goals according to the method of Christ, and the method of Christ is love in action. Obedience to God is the entryway. And in being obedient to God, we, we receive gifts from Christ, we're told, and then we apply those gifts according to what the gifts are, what the opportunities are, and how the Spirit leads us in responding to the opportunities that are before us. The application of your gifts, the service you render then, is the boot camp for growth in Christ. That's how we grow. So I'm bold to say, if you're not serving, you're not growing. Because that's how we grow. There are four or five areas that are mentioned in this particular passage that are central to identifying what the work of God is. The first thing that Paul mentions is that the work of God is to build up the body. And you know how we build up the body through service? Well, it happens through things like funeral dinners, where, where we get together as a group and we, we provide food and we provide encouragement and we talk to families who are greeting. Funeral dinners is just one example of the many avenues and venues of encouragement that we have. We, we pray together, we, we talk, we communicate, we send cards, letters, we get on the phone, we support one another by compassionate activities, we take pies. Yeah, there's something lost in our culture. I think it's the art of pie baking. And I think we need to reclaim that. Incidentally, raspberry's my favorite. Just, just saying. Um, I better not, I'm not going to go any further there. The second identified uh, area of the work of God in the community is building the unity of the faith. And when you talk about the unity of the faith, we're stepping past the local congregation to the congregation of all those who are faithfully following Jesus Christ anywhere around us. So community prayer meetings start to matter. 
Because we need to, as the church of Jesus Christ, present a consistent witness to the world about what the gospel of Christ means. So as we communicate with other churches of like faith, Christian churches who proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ, as we state our common goals together, the salvation of the lost, the doing of justice and equality in our culture, all of those things help provide unity for the faith at large. And that's a part of the work of God that we're called to participate in. A third thing in this passage is the discussion of how important it is that everyone work together properly. The image you should have in your mind are, are like the cogs on gear wheels in a clock that all have got to work perfectly in order for the machine to actually function. You understand that if one of those gears doesn't work, the rest can't move forward, right? Everybody has to work together if the body's going to function together. And if your cog is sitting on the couch doing nothing, it mucks up the work. And so part of the goal of the work of God is that we all work together. We, we should understand that this whole idea that 20% of the people do 80% of the work, that's garbage in the church. Because Paul is specifically expressing here that we've all been given gifts and we all need to work towards the goal of engaging everyone to work together properly so that we can actually accomplish the goals of the kingdom. There are pieces of the mission and the work of God for which I am not gifted. There are pieces of the mission and the work of God for which you are not gifted. Because Christ has distributed the gifts to different people according to his sovereign will in a way that will require us to rely on one another. He has leveraged our cooperation by not giving anybody all the pieces of the puzzle. And so we need one another's gifts in order to do the work of the kingdom. I've often commented on the fact that there are folks that I come in contact with that I befriend who speak a different language than I speak. And I'm not talking about Spanish or Portuguese or English. I'm talking, I have some friends who speak NASCAR. I don't know that language. I know there's a couple, I know the names of like two NASCAR drivers and only those because they have really funny commercials on television. Like Hamlin, why are you wearing those pajamas? You know, I've seen that commercial. But um, if I befriend someone who speaks NASCAR and I can't speak their language, how am I going to get the chance to tell them my story in a way that makes sense to them? But, you know, I have friends in this congregation who do speak NASCAR. And I heard a conversation on this very platform about car parts even this morning. So I know that there's people who speak NASCAR here. And if I need my friend who speaks NASCAR to understand about Jesus, I've got to get them linked to my friend who speaks NASCAR so that together we can witness to the goodness of Jesus Christ in our lives. That's part of how the gifts are distributed in the body of Christ. We rely on one another to get this job done together. And if all the parts aren't working, there'll be languages that we don't speak. And there'll be people who we will miss 
who need the light of Christ in their lives. And we need your language. There's another area that's specifically described in this passage as the work of God. The area of growing in the knowledge of Jesus. You know how this happens. It happens in small groups, in Sunday school classes, in work projects. We have a responsibility to educate our children and to educate ourselves about who Jesus is. We have the responsibility to educate new Christians about the life in Christ. And this is an important part of the work of God that we all need to cooperate with. An area that's a part of the work of God that's identified here is leading saints to maturity. What did the passage say? So that we're not knocked about by every wind of doctrine? How... How is it that we come to maturity? Well, somehow in the fellowship of the church, as we're kind and gracious to one another, we need to have friends who can come beside us and put their arm around us and say, you know, saying this in private, of course, what I heard you just say sort of feels like gossiping to me. And that's not, that's not who we want to be, is it? I mean, it takes a, a vulnerability and an intimacy to be able to correct one another. It, it takes a, a stated objective from me to serve Christ above all things so that someone else who having heard my stated objective can point out to me the blindness in my perspective, right? No one's gonna talk to me about the, inconsistent, the inconsistency in my life if I haven't first stated that I want those things pointed out, right? I want to know how I can serve Christ best and I need friends to come by and help me reach maturity in the event that I'm being blind in particular areas. And, and it is our goal as a congregation, as the body of Christ to grow up into maturity so that we're not deceived. So this week I'm reading, I've been reading in the minutes of this church. And it was interesting to me, here's a story I didn't know before, that back in about 1903, there was a crisis in this congregation. And in the board minutes, it's, it's listed as some of the members were given to fanaticism. I can't tell you exactly what that means. It just says fanaticism. Okay, and there was a split, and some people left and went away, and uh, some one particular pastor who had pastored the church in the past but was still in the area was sort of criticized for not doing more to to make that stop, and and in the aftermath of that, the church almost completely crumbled. The, the numbers went way down for about a year and a half. They couldn't afford to have a pastor here. I actually saw the vote of the board to sell the building. They rented it out for a little bit. They voted to sell that building up on Main Street. And it wasn't until about 1906 that a Reverend Mrs. Nellie Reed came and salvaged the place. Her spirit leadership, spirit-led leadership, brought people back together. She reinvested in small group meetings in homes, prayer meetings to reestablish the foundation of scriptural holiness in the lives of people. And over the course of the time, over the year that she was here, things turned around 
and they were, re they were reestablished. But the concern was the body, this young church, hadn't been built to maturity yet, and they were easily swayed by some wind of doctrine. And it wasn't until a godly woman came and helped relay the foundation of scriptural holiness that the church was united and began to grow again. And after her time here, um, things just sort of moved steadily forward after that. Yes, the church has had ups and downs, but it's never had that kind of a problem in my reading so far. But in the two or three years before that, they had a pastor come for three months and one come for four months and, and trying to get things stabilized, but there was a lack of maturity. This is why Paul addresses that. We can't afford to stay simple child, childish Christians. It's a difference between being childlike and being childish. We need to have deep roots in Christ and the work of building to maturity matters. It's an important part of the work of God. All of our service, however, these areas and then the areas beyond that essentially can be grouped into two spheres of service, just two. We serve the body of Christ in various ways. I mean, there, there is an earthly organization that exists to glorify God. It has the mission of creating disciples among all people around the world and a mission to live as salt and light before the world. We pray, we intercede for the world. We exist to exalt Jesus before all humanity. And so we teach and we witness, we raise children in the faith, we preach, we worship. All of those activities are borne by the people of God because that is how we bear the kingdom of God. But there is a second sphere of service and that is, we are also called to serve the community. It's not just the people of God that we serve, it is the community. People matter to God, and so people matter to us. We're told in scripture to do good to all men and women, but especially to those of the household of faith. You've heard that passage many times, but we get focused on the especially to the household of faith, and we forget about do good to all men and women. And that's the predicate, that's the beginning of the sentence. To all men and women, we are supposed to be involved in doing good. Evangelism, or sharing the good news of Jesus Christ, goes hand in hand with service. Service creates relationships that give us the opportunity to share the truth. It's a primary means of sharing our story. I mean, you don't have to spend much time working with others before you begin to develop a relationship with them. And that's an important pathway to telling your story. Service is the pathway, one of the important pathways of fulfilling the mission of Christ. Service places us in a position where we can be salt and light in our community. You might say to me, well, you know, I don't really have the courage to tell others about Jesus Christ. And I say to you, fooey, you have all the courage that you need to tell other people about Jesus Christ. All you have to do is serve other people. If you serve other people honestly and faithfully and build relationships with other people in time, they will ask you. They'll say, well, you know, I noticed this. Why do you do this? Or, or why do you talk this way? Or why? why? And then it's just a matter of answering the question. 
Then it's just a matter of being prepared with an answer so that when the opportunity comes, when the question comes, you'll be able to answer. And if you serve honestly with others, then you will have the opportunity to share. Now, now understand, when we share in the community, we're going to share alongside people whose views we don't agree with, whose lifestyle is repulsive to us, whose values are completely different from us, and that shouldn't matter to us. Because the reality is, we just heard a couple weeks ago that Jesus comes, puts the towel around his waist, and washes the disciples' feet. And as I mentioned, if you're gonna wash feet, you gotta get in touch with dirt, and you gotta get in touch with feet, and it's gonna be stinky, right? We have to be ready to deal in some stinky areas because those are the people who need Christ to begin with, right? And so if we're just unwilling to serve with anyone who's just not exactly like us, we have so limited our opportunities to serve, so limited our opportunities to witness, that I don't know how much salt is left in us. And so when we serve outside the body of Christ, we should be able to, for the good of the community, link arms with some folks in service who we're not quite ready or willing to be identified with, perhaps, because our lifestyles and our choices are so different. That can't stop us from serving because the goal of the kingdom is to live as salt and light. Anytime our actions point people to Jesus, that's job well done. In the next few weeks, we're gonna be talking very specifically about service. Next Sunday, I'm going to talk with you about how to serve in the body of Christ, very specifically. And in the following two weeks, we're going to talk about how we serve in the community. And I'm going to bring some people in to talk to us who are going to give us very specific opportunities to serve. I have the director of hospice care for Vernon in Manchester coming. He's going to talk to us about how you could be a hospice volunteer. I have the person, I've talked with the senior center and the senior um, services folks in Manchester. They're sending information over. Uh, we have someone, oh, what's the other person I have coming? Oh, I have Beth Stafford coming from the Mac Charities folks. going to talk us about service opportunities in Manchester. During those two weeks, we'll have some displays in the lobby that will show you exactly who you need to call to get involved and what, what the training pathway is to serve and, and those types of things. And, and it's my prayer that from now until then, you will be praying the prayer I asked you to pray two weeks ago, which was, Lord Jesus... Show me how I must serve and help me to say yes even before I know what that is. Because I am confident that the Spirit will use us if we're willing. Because the Spirit's objective is that the light of Christ be shown in our communities. And serving others is a primary way of making that happen. I guess this is my observation. COVID came along and crushed our schedules. All kinds of things we couldn't do anymore because of COVID. And then into that vacuum that was created, there were a bunch of activities that popped up that were now COVID-related that took more time. 
You know, we, we have to do things now in certain ways. You got you to gotta shop maybe in different ways. And there's a, a whole bunch of different patterns that we've adopted, like Zoom meetings that now are filling up time in our COVID experience. But very shortly, that's going to go away too. So the old schedule's been crushed. The COVID routines have been changed. And now we're coming out of COVID and there is time in our schedule that was formerly filled with other things that is not full yet. You will fill that time very rapidly. But we have an opportunity here to before we fill that time with entertainments or all other kinds of superfluous things to say, what if, what if I served in this slot? What if I gave this time to Christ to serve my community or to teach a Sunday school class or to host a small group in my home or to join an additional prayer group? There, there are opportunities for service that are here that are not typical for us. And I don't want to see us waste the opportunity that COVID brought to us. This is, this is a gift from God to us. Space in our schedules that wasn't there before just because our schedules were crushed. It's like getting a free do-over. If you're a golfer, it's a free mulligan. And you can fill it with something different, something commanded, something that will bring you to greater maturity in Christ, something that will help you work properly with the other workers in the church so that we can actually see the mission of Christ fulfilled in our lives. This is verse 15 from the passage. But speaking the truth in love, we must grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and knit together by every ligament with which it is equipped, as each part is working properly, promotes the body's growth in building itself up in love, working together in love requires acting together, requires serving together. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, teach us your way. In these days, we know that there are new opportunities for service. And we know that there will be many folks clamoring for our attention. Help us, Lord, to give your spirit primary attention. That whatever you speak to us by your spirit, we are quick to obey. For we know that this is your will. Help us. Amen. May the God who began a good work in you carry it on to completion till we all reach fullness, maturity in Christ to the glory of God now and forever. Amen.